You're listening to the Ticker Podcast from IR Magazine, a roundup of this week's leading stories and industry comment from the world of investor relations. This week on the Ticker Podcast, investors surveyed on Brexit, Poland, the hot new roadshow destination, and a new interview segment from our correspondent, Jeff Cassette. I feel like the IR sometimes should realize they're the ones in control. I'm Candice de Montpetit, and I'm joined today by Tim Human only. Good morning, Tim. Good morning. We all know the main financial centres for non-deal roadshows, um, like London, New York and Boston. Uh, each year we ask companies where they're travelling to and the most visited destinations tend to show a little change. So it's often more interesting to look at the margins and see which destinations are emerging as roadshow cities. Uh, when we conducted our most recent roadshow survey with IROs, we found that Warsaw was showing an uptick in interest. Uh, 29 separate companies from outside Poland told us they had gone to Warsaw on a roadshow over the last year. So what changes are taking place in Poland that could be attracting interest? One of the main changes affecting the Polish institutional landscape is to do with pension funds. Um, they make the main base for investors in Poland, and last year significantly upped their investment in foreign equities, according to someone we spoke to from investment bank Pikau. There had been some bond market changes that left the pension funds needing to invest more in equities, so that was one of the drivers, and Poland itself didn't have enough opportunities, leading fund managers to look abroad. Um, at the same time, the limit on how much pension funds can invest abroad uh, has been relaxed recently. Currently, pension funds can invest um, up to 30% of their assets in foreign investments, although the actual figure in terms of how much is invested abroad uh, stands uh, closer to 10%, we understand. And do you have any examples of companies that have traveled to Poland recently? Uh, yes. As part of our research, we spoke to BASF, the German chemicals company. Um, it was approached by some Polish investors um, recently, which sort of kindles its interest in the market to begin with. Then one of its analysts suggested a trip, noting that the, the Polish market was opening up. So last year, the company decided to go for an IR-only roadshow, as this was its first trip to the city. And so how did it go? BASF ended up attending a conference with four or five other companies and about 50 or 60 investors. So a well-attended event. Uh, the clouds of BASF helped to make it a success, we think. Uh, the company said some smaller investments may have been made after the event. But in any case, um, it, was, it certainly plans to return to Warsaw at some point. Garnet was supposed to be with us um, this week in the podcast studio again, wasn't she? Yes, but she had to, to leave uh, quite quickly to go back to Spain, unfortunately. But she's going to, um, from afar, she's going to uh, share some findings from uh, an IR Society study about how investors will react if uh, Brexit happens. As the UK decides whether voting to leave the EU on June 23rd would positively or negatively affect everything from wages to the likelihood of war or your next family holiday, the IR Society has been finding out what fund managers and buy-side analysts think. And what they found is that 64% will reduce or sell UK equities if what is known as Brexit appears likely. 54% say they would reduce their exposure to UK debt, debt securities finds a study of 407 responses from 361 institutions, including 11 of the top 20 global investors by assets under management. There are some regional differences, though. A press release from the IR Society reads, quote, UK and European investors expect to reduce their exposure to UK securities more aggressively than to EU securities. 
but UK investors remain slightly more positive on the domestic market than their European counterparts. North American investors expect to reduce their exposure to both UK and EU markets equally in the event that Brexit looks likely. Almost 9 out of 10 respondents believe Brexit would have a negative impact on UK investment markets in the short term, with financial services and real estate investments deemed to be most at risk, while 78% say the potential for the UK to leave the EU is now an important factor when making investment decisions. However, this doesn't mean that the impact would be entirely negative. 44% of respondents say there will be some winners in the UK economy, with exporters and industrials most preferred. A further 30% say that over the medium to long term, the effect of the UK leaving the EU on securities would actually be neutral to positive. So some very interesting findings there, and we will be finding out whether that's actually going to happen, of course, on June 23rd. Thanks, Garnet. Now over to Jeff Cassette. He's been speaking to Berenberg about corporate access. What would happen if a corporate access professional joined an investor relations team? With their unique perspective, what sort of rules and guidelines would they introduce to improve IR roadshows? Well, today, we're going to find out. Olivia Lee heads up the Global Corporate and Investor Access Division at Berenberg Bank. And she's organized thousands of roadshows and investor conferences around the world. Lee's specialty is helping European corporates refine their targeting with U.S. and Canadian asset managers. She says that as these investors' international allocations grow, so do demands for a company's attention and time. She admits there's plenty of fast money in North America's investment market. But she says international money managers are a breed apart. Part of the reason I stayed here for five years is because I prefer U.S. investors, because I do feel they're a lot more long-term than other investors. I know a lot of clients who invest on a kind of five-year view, and you'll sit there You'll sit in meetings and they won't ask about the last set of numbers or what happened to your quarterly margin or anything like that. They will say, this is where I think you'll be in three years, four years time. If you agree, how are you going to get there? And they'll sort of start the meeting like that, which is just so much, it's a much more interesting meeting, much more high level. Long term, high level, interesting. And another thing about US international investors Lee thinks they are a bit more forgiving. You know, if there's a big profit warning, I found that European investors or and the UK investor could be quite they could be quite harsh. They'd take it personally and then not invest in that company again or, you know, they'd sort of not look at it again. Whereas I find US investors, providing they feel that the company, the fundamentals are still intact, they actually get quite excited when there's a profit warning because they think, brilliant, I can get in now at a good level, I can hold it for three years and make good money because I believe in the fundamentals of it. Olivia Lee has been at Berenberg for about two years, but the bank itself has been around for over 400 years. Once known for private banking, Berenberg more recently emerged as a major force in the multinational investment banking arena. Today, its nucleus resides in London. Its 85 analysts cover about 550 European firms and almost 50 North American corporates as well. 11 of 55 salespeople operate from the U.S., in New York, Boston, and San Francisco. We're very proud of our research. We do big, chunky, thought-provoking pieces of research, which you could, you know, you could use as a door wedge. They're so big, some of them. 
and our analysts are on the road permanently marketing uh, what they're writing. Lee says that itinerant approach makes her job in corporate access a lot easier. Uh, because then I can chat to the analysts about what they're talking about most, where, where they're finding the most interest, and then I'm obviously relaying a lot of that back to the relevant corporates. And they find it useful that I'm feeding that information in, through to them, and hopefully it builds confidence that when they give us one day or two days or three days of a roadshow in the US, we know exactly who to go to first because we've already got this sort of fountain of information. Lee points out that fountain doesn't just emerge from sit-down chats with analysts and salespeople alone. Berenberg is especially assiduous about documenting every single interaction with investors. I don't think our system is necessarily entirely different from anything that another bank's got. It's just that we have got real encouragement from the top to input into it. So if any company phones me up and says, oh, would you mind telling me who in New York has has shown the most interest in the last month, then I literally just can click a button on my system and it will show me everybody who has asked for a model, asked for a call with the analyst, been chatting to the salesperson. Lee does, of course, have a very good handle on which companies are popular with her salespeople and investors. She says the database saves time and spotlights opportunity others might overlook. But it's just helpful to go in there and, and be able to provide the IRs who I'm going in to see with actually some more detail of, of who, who is most interested or concerned about their company and, and what are the points within that are concerning them or interesting them. Or, you know, like often investors will say, I will only look at this company if X happens or if they make another deal or they get to this price level. And that's useful for us because... You know, we know not to bother them unless X or Y happens, and, and the corporates appreciate that as well. Okay. For better meetings, know someone who knows your investor. Key rule here, know your destination. Know your destination. I know it sounds really simple, but the number of companies I find are roadshowing with people who don't have appropriate teams on the ground in that destination really surprises me. If I was an IR, I would immediately ask, if, if I've got someone pitching to me for a region, I would ask, how many people have you got there? And how big is your client base? How many salespeople do you have on the ground there? And if the answer is none or three, and it's an entire, you know, if it's the whole of the US or the whole of London and the whole of Europe, then I'd be worried. And there's, not, there's no way that many people could cover you know, all the important clients effectively. So, it, you know, I, I completely understand how it can be scary for IRs, especially using um, a broker, a different broker for the first time. So, so that would be, so, you know, I'd always just check those things first. Another top tip, rotate your brokers. Each keeps a unique client list. Lee says tapping each pool helps ensure your message reaches everybody. It's really surprising how some people do, or they feel obliged to use their house broker, even though they might not do the best job, or they're obliged to use the same person every time. Like, I think brokers get it; they know that they're not going to get the, you know, the company every time. You know, I, th- I feel like the IR sometimes should realise they're the ones in control. So there's that, and there's at least one other good reason. It keeps brokers on their toes when they know that it's not always going to get going to be their roadshow. Another Berenberg rule, don't travel in a pack. You'll cover more ground. 
And if you bring a crowd, investors might wonder who's minding the shop. Lee says, split your CEO and CFO. Um, U.S. investors are very happy seeing just one of them. And they would be worried almost if the CFO wasn't able to talk about the story or the CEO wasn't able to talk about the numbers. So they're almost, it can slightly work against you if they feel that you always need to travel together. But the U.S. investor just wants one person who can tell them the story from the management team, you know, with an IR person there helping with follow-up and with other questions. So, yeah, if I ever joined IR, I would say that would be my first thing is don't travel altogether. Some companies draw the line at meeting hedge funds. But Lee says that's a mistake. After all, not all hedge funds are evil. But if you're really shy about a one-on-one, try a group environment. You can be discerning there. Um, What I had once was a company who has a huge amount of short interest on it. It was about 25% of their stock was um, being shorted. So what I suggested to the company was that we did um, a haters breakfast and a lover's lunch. So that we got all the hedge funds who were hating them into one room And then we got all of the sort of smaller long onlys into a room for lunch because what we didn't want was mixing the two so that the hedge funds would and and their sort of negativity affecting the long onlys later on. And it worked really well, but they really enjoyed the meeting. I mean, it was it was a tough meeting. Um, A couple of people closed their short positions after it. So it was actually valuable. Yeah, well, and also, and the company enjoyed it because they understood where the hedge funds were coming from and, you know, where, what was the reasoning behind them shorting and what was going to change their view. So at least they sort of, I think people who just don't face them, they, they're sort of a bit in the dark about where they're coming from. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Condice. And see you next week. You've been listening to the Ticker Podcast from IR Magazine. For free access to all the latest global investor relations news and analysis, register at irmagazine.com or download the app.